Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's good to see you. Welcome to Canyon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad uh, that you're tuning in today as we wrap up uh, this series that we've been in for the last several weeks called uh, One Another. And we've simply been talking about this, this new command that Jesus gave us to love one another. And it's such an important conversation Uh, for us to have because I think what the world needs right now is more of the love of Jesus. And so we've just been talking about that for the last several weeks. And today we're wrapping this up and then we'll move into something new. But I just want to give you a recap in case you've missed a week or in case, you know, you've slept since then uh, and you need to remember. We started with these two big ideas, these two big truths that are true for all of us. Uh, And that's that we are loved by God and that we're capable of loving others. And I want to reinforce that one last time today, that regardless of what you've heard or experienced in your life, you are loved by God and you can love others. And then we went further into the, the foundation of this and we talked about what love really is. And we found that God is the perfect example of love because love is who he is. God is love. Um, we looked at that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to define God's love for us. And then we looked at an example in, in Mark chapter 5 of Jesus loving someone who was difficult to love and this demon-possessed man. And we talked about how we can love people Jesus style. And then last week we talked about this, this toolkit and these 12 tools that, that we have to love people. And today I just want to wrap this up and talk about how we live this out for the rest of our lives. We're going to talk about how we apply this to our lives within the context of the church, all right? How do we continue to learn to love God and love people? How do we continue to figure out how to love people the way Jesus did? And I want to take a second just to uh, promote this because this has been a um, very helpful resource through this series. This is a book called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. Uh, and, and today really is, is a lot of it is coming from this book. And I think this is a book that everyone should read. All right. Everyone needs to read this book. We have it in our library, which is right through these doors and those doors and right across the hallway back there. And I think I want to come in and see a waiting list for this book because we need to read it. We need to build a, a deeper framework for what love looks like. And Bob Goff lays it out so well for us uh, in this book. But the reason that I wanna mention this book today and explain kind of what it's about is because this is the place where we learn to love like Jesus, all right? And we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about the importance of the church in God's great uh, commission and commandment. We learn to love everybody always within the context of the church, all right? And that's what we're gonna talk about today because we've spent the last several weeks talking about how we go out from this place and love our neighbors and love the people around us. And that's so important that we do that and that we understand that we're called to do that because that's a part of the second greatest commandment. But the fact is God has given us a laboratory, right, or a practice field, if you will, where we can learn to apply these principles of loving people, and that's in the church, all right? The reality is when we go out and we talk about the church, some people immediately get a negative picture, all right? 
Even some people who are sitting in church today have a very negative feeling or a very negative opinion about the church. Other people have a very positive opinion about the church, but I've never met someone who has followed Jesus faithfully for years and years who hasn't gone through both positive and negative experiences with the church, all right? I've never met someone who hasn't had their ups and downs in church. I've never met someone who hasn't experienced some good times and some not so good times, right? We've all been through that. We have to understand that the church is not perfect, okay? And it never will be. And I would even go as far as to say this, not only is it not perfect, it's extremely imperfect, right? You can look at the the headlines in the news today and see that the church is filled with imperfections. You can look in the headlines in the news and see that the church has some pretty drastic shortcomings. Not only do we sometimes let people down in, in seemingly small ways, we also hurt people in very big ways. So we have to acknowledge this problem right off the bat that the church is imperfect. Why? Because it's filled, okay, with stubborn, pesky, problem-filled creatures called sinful human beings. That's why the church is so imperfect. But God put us here together, all right? And he says this, he says, okay, you're all sinners. You're all selfish by nature, but I'm gonna put you all together in this one place because I'm redeeming you and I'm, and I'm changing you and I'm working in you, I'm recreating you and it's going to take your entire lifetime, okay? But I want you to go through it together. So from imperfection to maturity, from lostness to walking in the will of God, this is a journey that takes a lifetime to master and it's a journey that we're all walking through together. Does that make sense? So there are many people who are really struggling with the role of church in their lives. And as you look at statistics, if you look at evidence, even rather than statistics, evidence is is shocking, right? In the United States alone, we project that in the next 10 years, 5,000 churches will close their doors. And that's not as bad as it was for the last 10 years, because for the last 10 years, about 10,000 churches in the United States of America closed their doors. So churches are closing at a rapid pace. And when we see that, we think, well, Christianity is declining in America. And I don't think that's true. I think Christianity is actually growing in America. I think we're seeing countless numbers, thousands of new people coming to Christ every year. Yet when I look around, I see the church declining, all right? The kingdom is growing, but the church is declining. And the churches that are dying are the churches that are leaning into their own preferences and placing that above God's purpose, all right? It's amazing. It's almost like his way is better than our way, right? So today we're gonna talk about the church and what the church means to us and how we love within the church. And, and, And it's true, I believe Jesus died for the local church, right? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus believed in the church and he wants us to believe in the church as well, but we're going to have to believe in the church as a body of people who are all in the process of being redeemed. All right. We're going to have to believe in the church as a body that is growing and trying to figure some things out together. All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. 
We're going to look at a section, a, a passage of Scripture here today, and this is a passage like many others that we've discussed in this series that is frequently used in the context of marriage because it speaks directly to the husband and wife relationship. But today we're going to look at it from a different angle uh, because Paul, the author of this passage, uses the text here to compare marriage to the nature of the relationship that Jesus has with the church, all right? So yes, this passage speaks directly about marriage. It speaks to the husband and wife relationship, but it also illustrates the relationship that Jesus has with his people, and that's the church, all right? The reason that we read it at weddings is because when a marriage works out, it is a reflection of the way that Jesus loved the church, because the church was very dear and very precious to Christ. So we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. And I'm actually going to go a little bit further than what's on the screen. But it says this. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. It says he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. He says, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. And I want to read the next two verses as well. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32 says this. This mystery is profound, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. So verse 32 says, so he has all this to say about marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And at the very end, as he's wrapping up the book of Ephesians, what he says right after this marriage passage is this. This is a profound mystery because I'm talking about Christ in the church. Right. Now, this is a very difficult passage for us to work through. There's a lot to unpack here, but we're just going to start with the marriage portion because I don't want us to continue taking this passage out of context. These verses about marriage are constantly taken out of context, and that's a very dangerous approach to take when it comes to Scripture. All right, what Paul has to say about marriage, in order to, to really understand what Paul has to say about marriage, we first have to understand what the rest of the passage means. And if we back up a verse in verse 21, Paul says this about the relationship. He says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And when this verse is used a lot of times in the context of marriage, it's like we scrubbed that verse out and we scrubbed verses 31 and 32 out and we're just tearing out this 22 through 30 passage and treating it like a, a mandate or a list of rules. But what Paul is really saying here all the way from verse 21 is this, when you enter into a marriage relationship, you have to go into it with a servant's heart. 
So when we talk about wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving wives, we're talking about self-sacrifice. In other words, if these verses give men an authority complex, these verses don't apply to them because Paul is speaking to servants, all right? These verses are for husbands and wives who have submitted together to the Lord. They're for husbands and wives who have put their spouse's needs above their own. In order to properly live out this passage, which does have to do with leadership and submission, in order to live this out, we have to put selfish agendas aside because this is just as much about service and love and sacrifice as it is about leadership and submission, all right? So we can't use this, this passage to justify abuse or, or even authoritarianism. Hard word, man. I'm having a hard time speaking this morning. It's because of the crickets. If you know how much I hate crickets, I love everything about fall. And I know we don't have a fall in Texas, right? So when September comes around, it's fall for me. I'm getting the pumpkin in my drink at Starbucks. I'm putting the Christmas music on until my wife shuts it off. You know, it's like, it's fall. The pumpkins are out, the leaves are out. It's fall, but the crickets are here too. (laughs) And I can't stand them. Absolutely can't stand them. If this passage is used to justify abuse or authoritarianism in marriage, it's not being used correctly because it's mutually about serving each other's needs. Does that make sense? So when I'm looking out for my spouse's best interests, I can live out the leadership and the submission of this because Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, all right? So with that being said, I want us to to stop talking about marriage and talk about the church. I just wanted to get that out there. But the part that I want us to focus on with this passage today is what it tells us about how Jesus feels about the church because we live in a culture today where Christianity in America is very unique. I think Western Christianity, American Christianity is, is very unique. And if you've ever been to another country and on a mission trip or something, or even if you haven't, if you've read about the things that take place in other countries, what you'll see almost immediately is the church is very different in other places than it is here. All right. In most underprivileged countries, the church has a very service-oriented mindset, where in America, the church has more of a consumer mindset. All right. Now, I'm not talking about every single Christian in America. I'm not talking about every single church. I'm just speaking in, in broad terms, but I think that we probably have more consumeristic Christians in America than any other country in the world does because in other places, Christians are asking, what can I do for the church? But in America, we're asking, what can the church do for me? Right? For example, the average family in America, average family in America, visits at least four churches before they decide which one they're going to attend. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's very important that we find a church that's going to meet our needs. I think it's very important that we find a church that when we go there, we feel like we belong. I think it's very important that we find a church that when we're there, we feel like we're growing and we're, we're learning biblical truth. Don't hear what I'm not saying. When it comes to finding a church to attend, we have several things we're looking for. We're looking for good music. We're looking for good programs for our children. We're looking for easy parking. We're looking for good preaching. And again, it's not wrong to consider any of those things. Finding the right church is so important, so much so that I have people that come to me as I meet visitors and they say, we really love 
this service, we love this church, but we don't really feel like it's the church for us. And immediately my statement to them is, well, I would love to help you find a church for you. And I know a lot of pastors in town and I know a lot about their churches just as they know about ours. And people come here and they say, I really like this, but I didn't really like that. Okay, well then I think you should try this church. And almost every time they text me and they say, we love this place, thank you so much. That is a win, right? The goal is not that everyone comes to Canyon Creek. The goal is that everyone goes to church, all right? So it's not wrong to look for the right church. It's not wrong to go to one and decide you don't really like it. But we also have to remember that God sent his son Jesus to the world and he died on a cross for our sins and he was buried and he rose again. And now this is his body. All right, the church is his body. So it's okay for us to look for the right church. And it's okay to want the good music and it's okay to want the good children's programming. It's okay to want good biblical preaching. At the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just not what the church is all about. What it's ultimately about is this. Jesus died for a body of people who would then be filled with the Holy Spirit and carry the great commission to the rest of the world, all right? In other words, there's nothing wrong with secondary things, but the primary issues of the church are the great commandment and the great commission. The primary issues of the church are love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The primary issue of the church is go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. The primary issues are love God and love people, or as we say it at Canyon Creek, it's know Jesus and make Jesus known. All right, everything else is secondary. But when you get to the heart of what the church is all about in Ephesians chapter five, it says that Christ is the savior of the body. Look at verse 23. It says, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. As the church submits to Christ. Remember, we're looking at these verses today asking, what does this mean for the church? As the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. I love what Paul teaches us about the church. When Paul says that Christ is the head of the body, he's echoing something that he wrote in Colossians chapter one. He's talking about the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus is the head of of the church. In other words, I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is. He's in charge. He's the leader. This isn't my church. This is his church, right? If anything, I'm just a caretaker. I'm just a, an, an under shepherd and I get to help lead and shepherd and serve. But ultimately Jesus is in charge. He's the head of the church. And I preached this message one time several years ago and a lady came up to me after, ser after service and she said, you know, I, I agree, pastor. My husband is the head, but I am the neck. And I turn that head whichever way I want it to go. And that's cute. But that's what we do with the church and it's wrong. We say Christ is the head of the church, but I'm the neck. And I'm gonna turn it whichever way I wanna go. The fact is we need to be seeking the leadership of Jesus in our church. Every single one of us. It's not just my job. As a family of believers, we need to be seeking the leadership of Christ. That's why when we make decisions around here that maybe not everyone agrees with, you have to trust that it was bathed in prayer by a number of people. 
And that every decision we make, what we're ultimately trying to do, from the smallest decisions to the biggest decisions, we're seeking the leadership of Jesus Christ, all right? He is the head of the church. Church submits to him and follows him. Next, verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, what does this mean for the church? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Since Jesus loved the church, he gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. In other words, his purpose of the church, this is where we are made holy. This is where we are cleansed. This is where we grow. I think of the church as as like an incubator, all right? In first grade, we had an incubator in our classroom with eggs that came out of a chicken. And now they're there until they hatch. And that is a very strange thing to try to put together in your mind as a first grader, right? Why are they in this thing? Doesn't make sense, right? But this is like an incubator in which every believer gets to grow and thrive and be made holy, and be cleansed by the washing of the water by the word. This is where we grow. This is where we we flourish throughout our lifetime to prepare for eternity. It's the church. It's the practice run. It's the trial. It's the school. This is where we learn and grow. Remember, as Christians, God gives us three primary resources. He gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, and he gives us his church. We have the word of God guiding us. We have the the spirit of God empowering us and filling us. And we have the church of God to belong to. He gives us these three resources to help us grow and mature. So Jesus is actively doing that work in us. He's growing us. He's maturing us through the washing of the water by the word. Why? Verse 27, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been to a church that I could describe that way, right? I've never been to a church that was without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. I've never been to a church that was perfect and completely mature, but here's the thing, we're on our way. We're on our way. Jesus uses our entire lifetime to bring us to this point. As long as we're still alive on earth, we're in progress. As long as we're still alive on earth, Jesus is doing a work. We're not complete, but someday we will be. And then towards the end, Paul says this in verse 29, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church since we are members of his body. Paul describes the church as the body of Christ, where he's the head and we're the body. And the body is made up of many parts and they're all of equal value. One part can't say to the other, I'm more valuable than you. One part can't say to the other, I'm more useful than you. We all get to play a role. We're all gifted. One of the things I love most about the church is this, no one is undervalued in the body of Christ. We're all servants, we're all ministers, we all have a a part to play. In other words, as a Christian, okay, writing off the church is not an option. Let me say that again. As Christians, we don't have the option of writing off the church. We don't have the option of giving up on the church. We don't look at the church and say, 
well, I've been hurt and it's very imperfect and I still love Jesus, but I'm done with the church. I still love Jesus, but I don't need the church. It doesn't work that way. According to Ephesians chapter five, the church is the bride of Christ. So if you say, I love Jesus, but I don't need the church, it's like approaching Jesus and saying, hey, I really love you and I wanna hang out with you and I wanna spend time with you, but I don't really want your bride to be around, all right? Most of us would be offended if someone approached us like that, right? Hey, I really wanna hang out with you, but I just can't stand your wife. Can we hang out without her, right? That's not how it works. Someone told me one time, well, I can worship God the same way on my boat on the lake, so I don't need to go to church. And when we say things like that, I feel like God would ask us, are you smarter than me? Because my plan was to redeem a body for you to belong to. My plan was for you to be a part of the church. It's not perfect, but it needs you. And that's what I would say to someone who says, I don't need the church. Well, the church sure needs you, all right? I think the church needs a better reputation in the world than the one it currently has. That's true. We need a better reputation. I think the local church is a key part of God's plan. We don't get to treat it like it's something that we're standing in judgment of. Now, there may be moments where we have to leave a church. Maybe God reveals something to you. Maybe he has you somewhere for a season and then he wants you to go somewhere else. Maybe a deep hurt took place. Maybe something wasn't dealt with biblically. Maybe it wasn't handled appropriately. Maybe the church walked away from embracing the truth of scripture. Maybe the church walked away from having Christ as the head. There will certainly be moments where we have to make tough decisions about the church, okay? But we don't want to make those decisions based on our own personal preference, all right? We don't wanna make those decisions based on our own feelings. If you're leaving the bride of Christ to go somewhere else, it has to be God-led. Does that make sense? I met someone recently who liked our church but, but didn't really <laughs> and wanted something else. And, and I started to name some churches for this person and, and they did not want to go to any of these churches because of things that had happened to them at all of them. And the reality was what they had done is put their personal preference above God's spirit, all right? And we don't wanna do that. When we leave a church, it has to be God-led. And that's okay, right? My old pastor used to say, church is like an airport. And sometimes God brings you in and you have a layover. Other times you're here for a season and then you're somewhere else. As long as you land in a healthy Bible-believing church, that's a win, all right? can't be what you want. It has to be a place where you grow. We have to start thinking of the church like an incubator that God has given us to learn and grow and flourish and thrive, all right? We learn to love in the church. Remember, if you want to grow in some area of your life, God's going to put you in a position where you have to, right? For example, if you want to be more patient, he's not just going to go zap your patient, right? <laughs> He's gonna put you in some situations that are going to challenge your patience. And my prayer for us for the last five weeks is that we will understand the importance of love. My prayer for us as we close this series today is that we will continue to pray, God, make me more loving. My prayer for us is that we'll find ourselves in situations that require us to love people. 
My prayer is that we'll find ourselves in situations that require us to give grace. My prayer is that we'll find ourselves in situations that will require us to serve people. And that's exactly what God does through the church. He says, hey, I want you to learn to love each other through this body. I'm putting you in an incubator together. Figure it out, right? (laughs) So with that being said, I have some points for us today. I wanna give you three reasons why the church matters for this series. The first one is this, the church is where we learn to love like Jesus. It is where we learn to love like Jesus. It's where we come together every week and we look into God's word and we get a picture of what love really is. And we talk about it over and over and over again from every different angle, from every passage of scripture, right? The church is where we cover 1,500 years of biblical writing, 66 books by 40 different people, all pointing to the same message of God's redemptive love for his church. It's where we learn to love like Jesus by observing his love for us. Second thing is this, the church is where we practice loving like Jesus. It's where we learn to love like him and it's where we practice loving. It's where we develop loving relationships with people whether we're all gathered here together on a Sunday morning or whether we're gathered in in small groups throughout the week, the church isn't a building, it's the people and it's where we practice love. And lastly, the church number three is where we share the love of Jesus. We learn it, we practice it, and we share it as we scatter. As a church, we continually go and love the world around us together, all right? So when the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, this isn't something that you have to do alone. You don't have to do it alone because you have a community that you belong to. You have a church full of people who are eagerly waiting, ready to help, right? For the last several decades, the church has emphasized individual evangelism so much that we've forgotten about how powerful it can be when the whole church is out doing it individually, but together. In other words, evangelism in the church, it's not just my job. It's not just a certain group of people's job. It's all of our job. We together are commissioned to go. In other words, if I bring someone here on a Sunday morning who is far from God and doesn't know Jesus at all, it's all of your job to love them and welcome them, right? And instead of worrying that my church family is going to be judgmental and hurtful or awkward and weird, (laughs) We should all be comfortable bringing people here knowing that our church family is going to welcome them and love them into the body of Christ so that God can begin to do a work in their life. The church is the laboratory where we learn to love like Jesus. It's where we practice loving like Jesus and it's where we share the love of Jesus. That's what it's all about. So how do we do it? I think we do it by committing ourselves to the church. What does that mean? How do we commit to the church? How do we learn, practice, and share the love of Jesus through the church? I I have five commitments for us today that I believe echo the mission and, and the values of the church that are presented in scripture. And these are five commitments that I want us all to make together this morning. And the first one is this, it's I will gather with the church. We need to commit to being here, okay? Not because it's a duty, not to check the box, not because it's a rule, not because God's gonna strike you down if you don't, right? 
Do it because you like your church family, okay? I like you guys. Isn't that great? And I think some of you like me too. And some of you don't. And that's okay, right? But because I like my church family, I want to gather with my church family. And when we commit to gathering together, it's a, it's a sign that the church matters to us, all right? Now, that doesn't mean that we'll never miss a Sunday, okay? It's going to happen. We're going to miss a Sunday. But when we're able, let's commit to gathering with the church, all right? The second commitment is this. I will group with the church. And I know that group is, is probably not typically a verb, but for the sake of my 5G words, today it is a verb. We need to commit to gathering with the church, but also grouping. And here's what I mean by that. As a church, it's important that we grow larger and smaller at the same time, all right? It's probably impossible to have a close relationship with everyone in the church, but it's definitely possible to know a few people really well, right? There needs to be a few people that you group together with regularly. That's why we emphasize small groups. Today, we have six small groups that are beginning this fall, all throughout the week. And these start and stop. These ones will be through the fall and then there will be new ones in January. We have ongoing small groups that, that meet every Sunday morning before service that never stop. So there are plenty of opportunities for you to group together. I want to encourage you as you leave today to stop by the table in the foyer. And on that table, there are half sheets of paper with a list of small groups that are starting and ways for you to sign up to get involved. And if you have questions, there's a phone number on there and you can just text that number and ask questions and our office will get back to you. We want to help you group together. It's a, a tighter knit family that you can lean on, all right? We got to commit to group. Here's the third one. I will grow with the church. We need to commit to growing spiritually with the church because this is something that never ends until we die, right? Until we die and go to heaven, we're growing in our faith. We're growing in our spiritual maturity. It's not a destination, it's a journey. We're growing together. We're learning how to study the Bible. We're learning to pray. Let's commit to grow. Number four is this, I will give to the church. We need to commit to giving to the church. Rather than being consumers, we need to be contributors. We need to give our time. We need to give our talent. We need to give our treasure. Remember what I said, the church needs you. And if we love the church, then we contribute to it. We commit to give. And lastly, number five, I will go with the church. This is something we commit to doing. In other words, we together as a church family are going to keep going and loving people. It's our mission. All of us get to go together and be a part of the mission of making Jesus known to the world around us. Let's commit to go. And my challenge for us today as we close out this chapter, this series, my challenge for us is that we will go all in in each of these five ways. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart when I say it, that you continue to restore my hope in the church. I love being a part of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. I'm thankful for every person. We're not perfect and we won't be until Jesus comes again. And sometimes people slip through the cracks and sometimes we let people down and sometimes people get hurt. But when I look at Canyon Creek, I can confidently say this, that Christ is the head of this church. So we have to keep it up. We have to keep gathering. We have to keep grouping. We have to keep growing. We have to keep giving. We have to keep 
going, let's deliberately work on becoming more proficient at loving God and loving people, all right? Let's pray together today. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you so much for this family that you're gathering here called Canyon Creek Baptist Church. I thank you for every person that calls this place their church home. I thank you for allowing all of us to be a part of this family. God, today we renew our commitment to the church, Father. We know how important the church is to you and we pray, God, that you would make the church more important to us. Help us to honor and glorify you as we commit to gathering. Help us to form meaningful relationships as we commit to to grouping. Help us to become more like you as we commit to growing. Help us to make a difference in the body as we commit to giving. Help us to share your love with the world around us as we commit to going. We thank you, Father, that we have each other as we walk through this life. And as we gather together today, Father, we declare that you are the head of this church. God, we're here to serve you. We're here to worship you. We're here to to glorify you. It's all about you. We pray that you'd lead us. We pray that you would guide us. We pray that you would continue to make us into the church that you're calling us to be. Father, a church that reaches this Canyon Creek neighborhood, a church that reaches the city of Temple, with the message of your gospel. Send us people, God, who need a church home. Help us to receive them and welcome them and love them well. We thank you for the gift of the church, for the gift of your love, for the gift of Jesus. God, for his life, he died on a cross and rose from the grave. We pray in his name. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, maybe you're here in this place this morning, maybe you're watching online and you don't quite feel like you belong to the family that God is gathering called the church. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The hope of of the gospel is clear and it's that Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live. Because we fall short, we're broken, we're imperfect, but Jesus lived the perfect sinless life that we could not live and he died the death that we deserve to die because the wages of our sin is death. And we were destined to pay that debt, but Jesus stepped in and he took our place on the cross. He died the death that we deserve to die, paying the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the dead so that we could be saved. And if you call on his name, he will save you. That's the gospel. And if that's you today and you wanna place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Church, let's make this our prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.